This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This week, we have episode 262 entitled, Isaiah's Messianic Branch. We are slowly working through the Messianic passages from the Hebrew Bible, that is, from the Old Testament, the passages that have influenced Jews and Christians in their understanding of the Messiah, his role, his responsibilities, and of course, his relationship to the God of Israel. We're working through the prophet Isaiah, and we come across the imagery of the branch otherwise known as the shoot. So we have this tree imagery that's being used for a figure that was understood to be the Jewish Messiah. So here are some of the questions I would like to ask in this week's episode. First, what does the branch imagery mean, and how does it relate to the Israelite King David? Second, Is there a correlation between the branch imagery in Isaiah and the star from the east in Matthew's gospel? And lastly, in what ways did the branch imagery from Isaiah come to influence the New Testament authors in their portrayal of Jesus as the Jewish royal Messiah and his humanity? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the shoot and branch of Jesse. The major passage from which we can draw this imagery is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. Starting in verse 1, it says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of Yahweh will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh. And he will delight in the fear of Yahweh. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. That's Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5. It's important for us to go back and to look at each of these verses in order that we can better understand the description that's given to this figure. So we look at the first verse, 11 verse 1, indicating in parallelism that a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and the parallel line says that a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So we have this tree imagery here, We have the shoot coming from Jesse's stem, and in parallel to that shoot is a branch 
from Jesse's roots. So it's important to know that Jesse is the father of King David. And King David, of course, was promised in the Davidic covenant of 2 Samuel 7 that his heir would have a house that is a dynasty forever. He would occupy the Davidic throne that's geographically located in Jerusalem forever, and that he would be the heir of David's kingdom forever. So there's a lot of royal imagery involving David, and of course we have Jesse as the father of King David. So there's this understanding involving the descendants of David that are, of course, promised in the Davidic covenant. And so there's a figure here that's called the shoot that is going to come from the stem of Jesse. This, of course, indicates Jesse's family line, and it indicates that from Jesse's family tree, ultimately is going to come David, and then there's going to be a descendant after David. It implies that the Davidic monarchy is a descendant of David, and of course, that's also how we get this branch imagery. The parallelism between the two lines indicates that the shoot from Jesse is also a branch from Jesse's roots. Let's be very clear about this imagery that's involving the tree images from the family tree. This promised royal figure is not one who comes before Jesse. He's actually someone who descends from Jesse. And you could make the argument with the implied understanding of the Davidic covenant that Isaiah was certainly aware of because he is constantly talking to whichever Davidic king is occupying the throne at the time. Clearly, this promised figure is someone who descends from David, who of course is the son of Jesse. This promised figure, the shoot and the branch, is not someone who pre-exists Jesse. That's not how the imagery works. Jesse has to come first, David has to come after that, and then descending from these two men is this shoot, this branch. That's important. Verse 2 indicates, of course, that the Spirit of Yahweh is going to rest upon this figure, and the Spirit is going to empower this figure with a variety of characteristics. The branch is going to possess God's wisdom, God's understanding, God's counsel, God's strength, God's knowledge, and he's going to fear Yahweh. Quite clearly, this figure is empowered by Yahweh's spirit. And if Yahweh gives his spirit to the royal branch figure, then it logically follows that the branch is distinguished from Yahweh and is not confused with him. And the spirit enables the branch to fear Yahweh, which is another indicator that the branch is not Yahweh himself. Why would the branch, if he was Yahweh, fear himself? That doesn't make any sense. No one is going to read this passage and logically conclude that the branch is Yahweh. They're quite distinguished. The fear of Yahweh is repeated in verse 3, which is, of course, very important. And then in verse 4, 
we can see the acts of this particular king in that he is going to judge and rule and enact justice. And the justice, of course, is on one hand taking care of the needy. On the other hand, it is enacting judgment upon evildoers. So this idealistic Davidic king is one who judges with righteousness and fairness while also executing justice upon the wicked. And we can see that his very words, the words that come out of his mouth, function as his utterances of judgment that will put the wicked to rest. And then in verse 5, we have the parallelism of the belt and the belt made of the king's faithfulness and the king's righteousness. So when I see that he is righteous and faithful, I ask the question, righteous and faithful to whom? Well, it seems obvious that the branch, being a Davidic descendant, is someone who is faithful to Yahweh. And again, this, of course, demonstrates the distinction between the branch and Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls, written after the Hebrew Bible, but before the writings of the New Testament, on many occasions will interpret this branch figure as the Son of God, sometimes as the Son of David. Both of those indicate the royal heir, the Israelite king, that is to inherit the promises made to David within the Davidic covenant. In fact, they will explicitly quote 2 Samuel 7 and interpret it in terms of the Davidic branch that we're seeing here quite clearly in Isaiah chapter 11. However, Isaiah 11 is not the first occurrence of this branch imagery within the Hebrew Bible. It actually appears earlier in Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 4, but the Isaiah 4 reference is a little bit more debated by modern scholars, but I do think it's worth looking at and exploring. So let's move to our second point, point number two, the branch of Yahweh. So we have one passage to look at, Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, which says, In that day the branch of Yahweh will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2. So now we have a slightly different imagery. We don't have a branch that's stemming off from Jesse's family line. It's not a descendant of David. Now we have someone that is called Yahweh's branch, the branch of Yahweh. We still have this tree imagery here. We still have this offshoot, this shoot, but it is quite clear that it is stemming from a different person. It's stemming from Yahweh himself, the God of Israel. Now, if the imagery of the branch implies a descendant, then this figure seems to be the son of Yahweh, which makes him the son of God. And the son of God, of course, is the title for the Israelite king. And this is why some Jews would associate this figure with the branch of Jesse, because the Israelite king, the descendant of David, is also called the Son of God. We can see that in 2 Samuel 7, 
12 through 14, to where the son of David is the one that the father says, he will be my son. So there's some interesting correlations between these two passages. Now, there is an open debate among modern scholars, those that write commentaries on Isaiah, in regard to the original intention of Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2. So we're not yet talking about how this is interpreted by early Jews and early Christians. We're asking the question, what did Isaiah, the 8th century prophet, mean by these words to his original audience? Is this a reference to the Messianic Son of God, similar to what we see a bit later in Isaiah 11 and its branch reference? Or is the branch of Yahweh strictly set in parallel to the second line in verse 2, along with the fruit of the earth, which is also plant imagery? So scholars note, and I think they're right on this, that the verse, chapter 4, verse 2, is set in parallel. There are two lines. We have the branch of Yahweh being beautiful and glorious, and the second line is the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of Israel's survivors. So the branch of the Lord is set in parallel to the fruit of the earth. And some scholars think that this parallel means that it's just a general reference to positive fruit and positive vegetation in the earth. It's not in reference to a particular person, to a particular branch figure, a royal figure, a son of God figure. And the context doesn't elaborate the royal themes in chapter 4. And so that's the argument that's being made. Now that assumes that the parallelism is a strict synonymous parallelism. But the parallelism doesn't have to be synonymous parallelism. It could be a synthetic parallelism, which builds on one thought by offering another. Now Isaiah quite commonly uses plant imagery for human beings. That much is true. Throughout Isaiah, God plants his people. God will uproot his people if they're wicked. We already know that the descendant of Jesse is described as a shoot and a branch. So it's very likely that this branch of Yahweh is also a figure representing one of the people of God. Now here's some of the evidence actually in favor of understanding the branch of Yahweh as the Jewish Messiah. First, the Jewish Targum on Isaiah interprets this verse, Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2, as, quote, the Messiah of Yahweh. They actually call him the Messiah of Yahweh. That's in the Jewish Targum. We also know that the branch is an unambiguous messianic reference, a messianic title, in several other places. We already looked at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, but there are other places after this that have been influenced by Isaiah, namely Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah 33, and two passages in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 3 and Zechariah chapter 6. Furthermore, the Septuagint translator read Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2 and described the branch as the shining forth that God accomplishes, God's 
shining forth using the verb epilampo. And there are other branch passages like the ones we see in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 8 and 6 verse 12 that also translate the Hebrew into Greek with similar light-bearing imagery. Now this imagery is very fascinating in my opinion. So the Septuagint translates the branch figure in Zechariah chapter 3 and chapter 6 as the Anatoly. The Anatoly is the Greek word for the rising of the sun or the rising of a star. It's often understood as a reference to the east because the sun rises in the east. And this of course indicates a similar understanding of this bright shining star imagery for the branch figure. Furthermore, the star from the east, which uses the very same Greek word Anatoly, is understood as the star that leads the Magi to baby Jesus, the newborn, guess what, King of the Jews, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. A reference in Matthew that has obscured a lot of interpreters, and it's been open to a lot of wild speculation, but there seems to be some evidence that the branch figure from the Old Testament that arguably begins in Isaiah was understood as a bright shining star from the east. And the book of Revelation concludes with Jesus himself describing his own person as the quote bright shining star. And you can see that in Revelation 22:16. So I think there's some evidence there that suggests that Isaiah chapter 4 and verse 2 and its reference to the branch of Yahweh was understood in a messianic sense, certainly by Jews and very likely by Christians. And maybe even by Jesus himself as the one speaking in Revelation 22:16. Let's move to our third and final point the influence of Isaiah's branch imagery upon New Testament messianism. Now, I don't have to explain to you and persuade you that Jesus is the son of David. That is absolutely clear among the New Testament writers. The New Testament is quite clear that Jesus is the biological lineal descendant of David. David is Jesus' ancestor. David is Jesus' forefather. And this, of course, proves that Jesus qualifies as the recipient of the Davidic promises stated in 2 Samuel 7. And it also indicates that Jesus is a true, authentic member of the human race. Jesus is a man. If Jesus is a biological descendant from David's family tree, and David is a descendant of Jesse, then that makes Jesus a human being just as much as David and Jesse are. Now, many New Testament writers explicitly describe Jesus as the son of David. It's in the opening line of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, when Gabriel visits Mary and informs her of the child she's going to have. He says in Luke 1.32 that Jesus will occupy the throne of his ancestor David. Gabriel says that Jesus has an ancestor named David. Jesus is the son of David. In fact, the Gospels will call Jesus, in one way or another, the son of David, roughly 15 times. 
It's all over the place. The New Testament authors are not hiding from this particular point. And in some of those occurrences, it's Jesus himself claiming this title. Paul believes it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 3, it indicates that Jesus is the son of David according to the flesh. And he also indicates this by quoting from Isaiah in Romans 15 and verse 12, which says, again, Isaiah says, there shall come the shoot of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Romans 15 verse 12. So there we have Paul quoting Isaiah to indicate that Jesus, the ruler of the Gentiles, is the shoot of Jesse. So Paul does not deny or change or modify or explain away this Jewish messianic understanding. He agrees with it, and he quotes Isaiah explicitly. Jesus is called the shoot of David in Revelation 5, verse 5, and in a passage we already looked at, Revelation 22:16, Jesus calls himself the shoot of David. Quite clearly, Jesus is this messianic shoot, this messianic branch. He is a descendant of David, which means he is the Jewish Messiah, and it means that he is a descendant of David, which points to his authentic and very real humanity. Now, the branch of Jesse, as we saw in Isaiah chapter 11, has words coming out of his mouth. And the function of the words are that they are words of judgment. The words slay the wicked. And this imagery gets picked up and used of Jesus and the New Testament. So the explicit quotation comes from 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8, where it talks about a lawless one that's going to be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will slay with the breath of his mouth, and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That's 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse 4, indicates that the branch of Jesse will judge the wicked with the words of his mouth. And here we see the words of the mouth of Jesus slaying the lawless one at his second coming. The book of Revelation draws on this theme and develops it much further in terms of the words of judgment that Jesus actually has. And so in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, John the Revelator describes his encounter with the risen Jesus by saying that in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That's Revelation 1, 16. So we have the powerful words that come out of the mouth of Jesus, the one who revealed himself to John. And the words are seen as words of judgment and the ability to execute judgment because of the imagery that's used in Revelation to describe the words coming out of his mouth as a sword. And this imagery continues in Revelation. So when Jesus introduces himself to the Christian church at Pergamum, he says, the one who has a sharp two-edged sword says this, Revelation 2, verse 12. And by the end of the letter, he says that they need to repent or else I'm coming to you quickly. I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth, Revelation 2, 16, which is interesting 
because the powerful words of judgment that were to come out of the mouth of the branch figure stemming from Jesse were words that were to slay the wicked. And here Jesus used them to slay wicked Christians who refused to repent. You can all see this imagery towards the end of Revelation in chapter 19, verse 15, where it indicates that the lamb appears and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will shepherd them with a rod of iron. So we have the messianic kingly images here of the words of judgment coming out of his mouth. That, of course, is drawing on Isaiah chapter 11. And, of course, the imagery of shepherding them with the rod of iron, and that is drawing on Psalm 2. So we have an imagery of judgment, the striking down of the nations. We also have an imagery of the nurturing shepherd, which is the correct translation of the Greek verb pimeno, towards the end of chapter 19, verse 15. So it's quite clear that the branch imagery from Isaiah had a massive influence on early Jews and on early Christians, and even, arguably, on Jesus' own self-understanding. This, of course, indicates that Jesus is a man, a descendant of David, an authentic member of the human race. And he is distinguished from Yahweh, the God of Israel. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Join us next week as we continue to look through Isaiah and we explore the rejected stone imagery and the impact that this had upon New Testament writers. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the sound, non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for absolutely free by subscribing on iTunes and YouTube, by giving us an honest review online, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a donation, please check out the episode description for a PayPal link. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please take care.